And Father, we do continue to just bow in your presence and humble ourselves before you. And, and God, we thank you for being our great provider. As we look back in our life, we see times when you've been there to, to lift us up. As we look into the future, God, we, we trust you. We look forward to you continuing to uh, keep us afloat in the future. And right now in the present, God, we thank you for the encouragement that you offer through your word. And I, I pray that as we continue to worship you, as we continue to lift your name up as the God who is good all the time, God, we, we pray that you would look into our lives and that you would take your word by the power of your Holy Spirit and apply it to our lives. And God, change our life to be more like you as we continue just to pour out our praise and worship to you now through your word. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship and praise you and give glory to you. Amen and amen. I invite you to take your Bible with me and open again to Psalm 107. Uh, we, we started through Psalm 107 this past week, and uh, today we continue our journey through Psalm 107. Um, Max Rice was a successful cotton mill owner in Belton, South Carolina in the, in the 1960s. And he felt God calling him to sell his cotton mill and invest those resources to purchase land in the northern part of Greenville County and build a Christian retreat center. Uh, he obediently followed the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. And he built Look Up Lodge on Highway 11 in Tigerville, South Carolina. And God has used that retreat center, that camp, to plant seeds of transformation in thousands of lives over the years, including my wife and myself. Max coined several pithy phrases and took some that were already kind of floating around and added a little bit to them. One was like this. He said, good is bad when you could have had better. And bad, is, he said, good is bad when you could have had better. And better is bad when you could have had the best. And bad is good when your only alternative is the worst. I mean, he was just good at turning phrases like that. One of my favorites was this. He said, Jesus is not all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is all you have, then Jesus is all you need. Now, some of that thought process probably came from Psalm 107. Last week in Psalm 107, the first 16 verses, uh, we learned that all of us have souls that need to be satisfied. Soul satisfaction... Remember, we learn takes five things. It takes intimacy, takes purity, takes safety, it takes purpose, and it takes peace. And we learn that Jesus, God's Son, completely meets every need of our soul. Truly, when Jesus is all I have, then Jesus is all I need. So how is God drawing you to Himself today? That's going to be our question as we launch out today. We're, we're asking a question every week to, 
talk about with our families, to talk about with our children if we have children, to talk about with our friends as we leave our worship center on Sundays. And that's going to be our focal point for today. The steadfast love of God declares that God is on a rescue mission. Uh, we learned last week that we live in the most luxurious generation in history. But this reality comes with a severe warning. Luxury is not always a blessing. Luxury can lead us to try to satisfy the need for a healthy soul with things other than God. And when that happens, that can lead to disaster in life. And we find in the middle, in the, in the, in the great part of Psalm 107, that very picture itself. The major part of Psalm 107 describes what a life looks like. When we try to live without making God the priority of our life. And then how God continues to come after us and chase after us to draw us back to Himself. God's goodness prevails over every disaster we face when we choose to turn back to Him. And so we're going to look at three areas today and be reminded from Psalm 107 as we look through the lens of how God's goodness prevails. Three different ways. First of all, God's goodness prevails over rebellion. We see that in verses 17 to 22. The psalmist describes the result that Israel faced from their rebellion. Look at verse 17. Harsh words. They wake us up if we look seriously at them. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. So the Bible definition of a fool is a fool is anyone who chooses their way over God's way. God was the perfect provider for Israel. He provided water for them when they were thirsty. He provided food for them when they were hungry. He provided His presence for them. As they wandered through the desert from exile in Egypt to God's promised land. And so as God provided for Israel, they turned to other means. Unfortunately, they were not satisfied with God's provision. It was foolish for them to rebel against God. And listen up, friends. It's foolish for you and me to choose anything in priority in our lives over God as well. It's foolish for us to rebel against God in any form. But for some crazy reason, we, we, we repeat the same pattern as Israel by rejecting God's provision and turn to the glitz and glimmer of sin and the ways of the world rather than making God the priority of our life. You and I are foolish today when we rebel against God. And again, this is harsh language. We're fools by putting anything ahead of God. We're, we're fools by devaluing any form of human life. 
That means from conception to the grave. We're fools for rejecting God's absolutes. God gave us ten commandments to kind of be the boundaries for order in our life. And then Jesus added an eleventh commandment. To love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourself. And we're fools anytime we step outside those boundaries that God has given us to live by. We're fools for not trusting God's sovereignty. God allows or causes everything to happen for a purpose. And we're fools when we do not accept God's sovereignty for guiding our life. We're, we're fools by not trusting Jesus in every part of our life. The Bible clearly says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. So we have a problem. Just like Israel had a problem. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. Everyone except Jesus Christ has fallen to the trap of sin. Our very nature is a, is a sin nature. And by nature, we're rebellious. Uh, one definition for sin is rebellion against God. And rebellion against God comes with a price. It comes with a cost. And the psalmist understood this, and he reminded Israel that sin is rebellion against God. Adrian Rogers, the former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, said that sin will take you farther than you want to stray, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's just as true today as it was in the 60s and 70s when he spoke those words. What's so bad about rebellion against God? Well, and how do I know if I'm rebelling against God? Well, rebellion against God wears you out. It causes a fatigue in your life, a weight in your life, a pressure in your life when you rebel against God that, that just flat out makes you tired. Now, I'm not talking about being tired from working hard. I mean, that's a good kind of fatigue. That's, that's a good kind of tiredness. I'm not talking about, you know, if you're a mom and you have two or three little children running around in the house you're keeping up with all the time. I mean, there's a fatigue that comes along with that that pays off in the end, but it's real and it's hard. But I'm not talking about that. Rebellion against God results with a wearisomeness or tiredness that just won't go away in your life. It hangs over your life. You wake up in the morning after a night's sleep and you're tired. <laughs> you find yourself in the middle of the day having to take an energy drink because you're tired. You come to bed in the, uh, you come to home from work in the afternoon and you're just worn out. You're, you're, you're tired. You crash and that kind of fatigue comes from rebellion against God. If, you, if you're feeling those symptoms, you might want to check what the psalmist is saying here this morning. Let me just list some symptoms of spiritual fatigue that comes from rebellion against God. When you're not craving time with God in His Word, that's a symptom 
of rebellion against God because He's given us His Word to pour His truth into our life. When you're not craving time with God in prayer, that's a symptom of rebellion against God. When you're not wanting to be and craving kind of a, a, a fellowship with other believers in your life, when you're, wanting to, when you're not wanting to hang around people who are godly people, that's a symptom that you might have rebellion against God controlling your life. When you're, when you're not excited about uh, being a disciple of Jesus and growing as a disciple of Jesus and taking what Jesus teaches you and sharing it with other people so they can become disciple, disciples of Jesus. That could be a symptom of rebellion against God. These symptoms of rebellion against God are serious. Here's the deal. You, you were created for God's pleasure. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. And sin separates you from God so you can't live in fellowship with Him when you're rebelling against Him. It's like putting the opposite ends of a magnet together and there's a, a repelling kind of symptom there. And being separated from God causes serious, serious consequences. What does the psalmist do? He points back to history. He says, look at the pattern of people who have been rebellious against God. He says, some were fools through their sinful ways. And then he gives the result. He says that these sinful ways lead to death. And that's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The, wage, the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us spiritually from God. And that's serious. But the great news is, God has always had in His plan a rescue plan for sinners, for those who are rebellious against Him. Because God's steadfast love, the psalmist says, endures forever. And because God's steadfast love endures forever, God has created this rescue plan for our rebellion. In verse 19, Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. It's a really good thing to cry out to God in our distress, even when we're rebelling against God. We cry out to Him for help. Remember verse 1, the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. In other words, as we just sang, God's love continues to run after us, even in our rebellion, because He has a great rescue plan. God wanted Israel to glorify Him with their lives. God wants you to glorify Him with your life. When Israel confessed and cried out to the Lord and repented from their rebellion, what did God do? He delivered them from their distress. Verse 20 said, He sent out His Word and healed them. Are you aware at the power there is in God's Word? 
In the beginning, God spoke creation into being with his word. The Apostle John begins his gospel like this. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word, capital W, was with God. And the Word, capital W, was God. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became one of us, a man in the flesh, in order to establish and continue His rescue plan. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. And we can only be ransomed and rescued from our separation from God, caused by our rebellion, by the living Word of God, Jesus so Paul writes the end of verse 23 in Romans chapter 6. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you don't have to live life and eternity separated from God. Jesus laid down his life to deliver you from distress and from eternal death. And only through Jesus will God's goodness prevail over your sin when, when you trust Him, when you trust Him to deliver you from the penalty of your sin. But you must choose to trust Him. Every choice we make has consequences. And history should have taught Israel to trust God and walk with God in His commandments, but they failed in their mission. Shane Williamson recently said, and I quote, Stories from both the past and the present are important, not only because they keep us focused on our mission, but they remind us of the promises of God. Shane Williamson is the national president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He was talking about the promises of God as they relate to athletes using their platform to share Jesus with the world. You know what? You have that same opportunity. Whether you're an athlete or not, not many of us are. But because you're a, a child of God, if you believed in Jesus and you've accepted and trusted Jesus to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, and that's restore your relationship with God. If you've trusted Him to do that, then you have a platform to share your relationship with Jesus Christ with other people. And when you understand God's promises and trust His Word to forgive you of your rebellion, you can't help but thank Him. You can't help but share Him with others. And that's where the psalmist goes. The psalmist says in, in verses 21 and 22, that because of God's love and forgiveness and steadfast love, you have that platform. Look at verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Now, as I worked through Psalm 107, 12 times I counted this word let. That's encouraging to me. 
It's a challenge for people who walk with God. People who, this is a challenge for, for believers. For example, in verse 2 of Psalm 107, he says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Your highest mission in life is to share how God has rescued you from your rebellion. What a privilege. There is somebody near you, either close to you in your family or close to you in your circle of influence, who needs to hear your story of how God has rescued you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He says, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love many times in this song. See, when, when someone loves me, they choose to love me. But here's the deal. You can't do anything to keep God from loving you. He loves you unconditionally. That's what the steadfast love of God is. So, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Are you willing to do that? To give thanks to God for His steadfast love. He says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Sacrifices of thanksgiving are costly. It cost Israel a blood sacrifice to show their thanksgiving to the Lord. We've been given a blood sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. And we should show our thanksgiving to the Lord. He says, let them extol Him in the congregation of the people. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. But there's a, a major value in praising God in community like this. In the congregation coming together to, to worship and, and praise the Lord. There's a value in praising God in community with other believers who are doing life with God like we are. So here's the question that I see being raised from this part of the psalm. Have you received God's forgiveness in your life? There's no reason for you not to receive His forgiveness in your life. And if you've received His forgiveness in your life, then, then tell about it. Show it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, that means our rebellion against God. If we confess our sin, then He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you experience God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness can prevail over any rebellion that you've had in your life against Him. And experiences His goodness draws us to thank Him. So how is God drawing you today to Himself? Out of your rebellion, over your rebellion, from your rebellion. Secondly, in the heart of this psalm, we see that God's goodness prevails over life's storms. Now, this might be a little hard for many people to really grasp and accept, but look at what the psalmist says in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. And then here comes the storms. Why, why do storms come our way in life? 
Well, I can think of three reasons why storms come. Some storms come in life because of our sin, our own sin. Some storms come in life because of sins of other people close to us or around us. Or even people that we don't even know, far away. And then some storms come in life to teach us a lesson that God wants to teach us. Some storms come from our own sins. These are God's correcting storms. Remember the story of Jonah? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the people, to preach repentance from their sin. What did Jonah do? He went 180 degrees the opposite way. He went to Nineveh. He rebelled against God. And God had to teach him a lesson. God sent a literal storm to teach Jonah a lesson. Some storms arise because of the sins of others. God uses these to teach us and lead us through pain, through painful experiences. I mean, take, for example, um, Joseph. What did Joseph do to deserve his brother's throwing him in a pit to die and then selling him into slavery and then all that happened to Joseph. It wasn't because of his sin, but he had to suffer the consequences of that and he allowed God to teach him and lead him through those circumstances to where God got the glory in his life. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That means when we, when we suffer from even the sins of other people around us, God has lessons that He can teach us and God wants to guide us through those kinds of storms in order to bring glory to Him. But then some storms arise just to test our faith. The psalmist says, For God commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves, in verse 25, the waves of the sea. Verse 26, They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. What's going on here? Well, God uses some storms to test us. And the purpose of the test is to strengthen us. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And here's the bottom line. All storms are created or allowed by God to draw us to Himself. I don't know all of your circumstances, many of the circumstances of your life, but I know this. Every single one of us have the opportunity today to be drawn closer to God, regardless of what's happening in our life. 
we can use whatever's happening in our life to be drawn closer to God. And that is the desire of the heart of God. Whether we face storms because of our sin or the sins of others or uh, whether we're just being tested in our faith, we know that storms are part of life. Health storms, economic storms, relationship storms, every kind of storm imaginable has the potential to draw us closer to God. They're all designed for that purpose, to draw us like a magnet to God. Again, in this month's Fellowship of Christian Athletes magazine, it says this, the world makes its promises, fame, success, and status, but they don't hold up when the spotlight fades and we find ourselves in seasons of struggle. God wants to give us a greater promise that comes from Jesus. And that is awesome. That is so true. The Lord God, who sent the storms Israel's way, was there also to rescue them from the storms. Look at verse 28. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Now that raises a question for me, and I hope it does for you. How willing are you to cry out to the Lord in your trouble and let Him deliver you? In the storms of life, I challenge you today not to run away from God, but to run to God. Because God's goodness prevails over the storms of life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11 and verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what we need in these stressful times. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal to me. I, I know that peace in two different ways in my life. First of all, as a child, when God called me to come to Him for salvation, and I accepted the invitation that He gave me for salvation... God gave me His rest, even as a child. And I don't, I don't know uh, what, what age group you're in. Uh, you're, you're a child of God. And if you've never responded to that call that God has given you to come to Him and receive His forgiveness, do that now. Trust Him now. But also, there's another area where I've seen that peace work in my life. There have been... Many times in my life where I've seen God close one door, shut it tight. But anytime He's closed the door of ministry in my life, He's always opened up another one. He's been faithful. And He'll do the same for you. He'll give you that kind of rest, that kind of peace as well. Because Jesus offers peace from the storms He creates to get our attention. You can't, you can't beat His terms. The only way to find real peace in this life and in eternity 
is through the terms of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And you can only come to the Father through Jesus. So make sure that you're running to Him no matter what has caused the storms that you may be experiencing today in your life. One of my favorite old movies is It's a Wonderful Life. Have you ever seen that? I mean, I watch it every year or so. Uh, I love the part when everything in George Bailey's life is falling apart. In fact, he's wrecked his car, run into a tree, he's standing on a bridge, getting ready to jump over the side and try to commit suicide. And the angel, Clarence, now you understand there's no such person as Clarence. He's not an angel. That's not the way angels work. But anyway, in the movie, Clarence comes along and he demonstrates to George Bailey what his life would have looked like if when George Bailey says, I'd be, the world would be better off if I had never lived. And he shows George Bailey that that's just simply not true. You may have felt that way sometimes. I believe I'd be better off if I'd never lived. I believe the world would be better off if I'd never lived. Don't believe that lie from Satan. God has a better plan for you than Clarence. <laughs> God sent His Son, Jesus, as His rescue plan. In John three sixteen, you know it probably. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's you and me. But that the world, you and me, that world might be saved through Him. Jesus is God's rescue plan. And when you turn to Him, in verses 31 and 32 of Psalm 107, when you turn to Him... You can't help but thank Him publicly for His rescue. Look at verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. See, this is how that thing works. When we let God rescue us, even from our own self, or if it's from the sin that somebody else committed, or if it's just a... a, a, a a storm to perfect us, no matter what the cause of the storm is. When we allow God to rescue us, then we can't help but give praise to God. Every Wednesday morning, right here in this auditorium, a few of us meet at 6.30 to pray. And the first thing we do every single Wednesday morning almost when we pray is give praise and glory to God for rescuing us from the things of that past week and trusting Him to rescue us from things that are coming up in the coming week. It's a time when we extol the Lord, a time when we praise the Lord. Then, as you know, on the weekends like this, every, every week we gather to extol the Lord and praise Him in this congregation. We celebrate on the Lord's Day because the, the goodness of God has prevailed in our life this past week. And we're trusting the goodness of God to prevail in our life this coming week. And so we focus on God and give praise and glory to Him. We extol Him in worship every Lord's Day. So when you know Him, 
And when you walk with Him, and you experience His rescue in the storms of life, then you can't help but celebrate Him publicly. And that leads to the last part of this psalm. How is God drawing you to Himself? Number three, God's goodness prevails through His discipline. Now again, this is the part that we might not like so much. Have you ever known a child, when you needed to discipline the child, that said, come on, give it to me. Come on, give me the discipline. (laughs) I had a brother that would do that in a smart aleck kind of way with my mother, because she didn't carry a very big stick. But when she said, Wait till your daddy gets home. (laughs) That's when it got serious. It got real serious. We see God's discipline for sin hits us where it hurts most. Look at verse 33. He turns rivers into the desert, into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. The basic needs of life, water and food, The psalmist says God is used to discipline us. See, wickedness, rebellion against God, is costly. God brought Israel into exile to discipline them in verse 34. Turning rivers into deserts and springs of water into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salty waste. It's because evil reminds us that We have a basic need for the steadfast love of God, and even more so than water and food. We have a craving for the presence of God in our life. And when we rebel against God and turn against God, then the discipline becomes a good thing because it reminds us to repent of the evil and and turn back to God. Discipline is great when it alters the direction of our life. Have you ever noticed that, that, that God is good at fixing fixes to fix us? And that's part of His discipline. I was recently listening to a man who was in very serious trouble, very serious trouble, because he had made a really bad choice. I asked him a very pointed question. I said... What is God saying to you right now? See, we can learn from our mistakes if we understand that God's discipline is for a purpose. It's to get our attention. It's to help us listen to Him. So I challenge you to join me today and learn to humbly run to God for His mercy and His steadfast love. And, and repent, turn away from walking in the way of the world. The best lesson from discipline is learning from somebody else's mistakes and not making our own mistakes. Are you aware that every character in the Bible, you can't hardly turn a page in the Bible that you don't see somebody making a bad choice and rebelling against God? The only exception is the life of Jesus Christ Himself. And so most of the lessons of the Bible are from these negative examples. And, and, and so we, we learn from somebody else's mistakes, if we're wise, the discipline that God has poured out on them. God's discipline 
is for a season. In verses 33 and 34, we saw that God had to lead Israel into exile, away from Him, away from their their promised land in order to, to discipline them. But in verse 35, He displays His steadfast love by leading them out of exile. He says He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there He lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. Do you see the promise there for you and me? Even out of the desert places of our life, even out of the fruitless places of our life, God wants us to repent and turn back to Him and let Him bring life back to that wasteland, to bring water back to those dry beds. And repentance through God's discipline offers restoration. And that's where we want to live. The history of Israel is a record of God's steadfast love. He disciplines because He loves. And blessings can flow from discipline. When we listen to God and we learn from the mistakes that we make. And in verse 38, God has the final word. He says, by His blessings, they multiply greatly. That's a good thing. He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastelands. See, we learned last week that Christianity is about two things. It's about ransom and rescue. God has paid the ransom to rescue us from our sin. He sent Jesus to become flesh like us, pay the ransom for our sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ has always been God's rescue plan, always. Verse 41, He raises up the needy out of affliction, I don't know about you, but that's me. (laughs) He raises up the needy. That's me. I need God's grace and mercy and steadfast love. He raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts his mouth. Again, the purpose of God's discipline is to draw us back to him. And His arms are open wide for you and me today. His steadfast love, verse 43, says He draws us to Him. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So He ends this psalm right where He starts it. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Last year, if you were with us, you remember I mentioned that our ice maker in our refrigerator stopped functioning. So I wrote down the serial number and I ordered a new ice maker and it showed up. And I was getting ready to install the new ice maker and mysteriously it started working again. So I sent the new ice maker back to the company and got my money back. Bad choice. <laughs> About eight months later, the thing quit working again. And, but this time it was a little different 
situation. I mean, the, 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 the water would run from the hose in the back of the refrigerator into the ice maker and it would fill up, but there was a leak in the front part of the collection ice bin, ice maker, that would leak down into the bin. And so after a day or two, the collection bin in our ice maker was a big chunk of ice. It wasn't, it wouldn't flow through the little outlet that let the ice run out. So again, I ordered another ice maker and it came in in December and we were busy with Christmas so I set it up on the shelf and so for another four months that ice maker sat on the shelf and we continued to struggle without having cubes of ice. We had to take an ice pick. <laughs> it was like old times. It was fun for a while but it got annoying and so Recently, Gail and I, mostly Gail, who can read directions, I can't, but we pulled the old ice maker out and took the new one off the shelf and installed it, and we have perfect ice in our ice machine now. Four months that thing sat on the shelf, and we could have been having great ice for all four of those months rather than using an ice pick to chip it off. Well, I wonder how many of us have God on the shelf. He's there. His steadfast love is there to fix us. And yet we won't plug our life into Him and let Him transform our life. Two applications for that. If you're here today and you've never trusted God's rescue plan for your life, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's there. He's waiting on you. He's done everything He can possibly do to rescue you. So today, why don't you plug your life into Him and let Him rescue you? But this psalm was written to believers, to followers who are God's people. And there's an opportunity for God's people to leave God on the shelf as well and not plug our life into Him. And so God has to send these problems into our life, these challenges into our life, these struggles into our life, and for whatever reason, we continue to say, no thanks God, I, I, I can handle this myself. I want to challenge you today to let this psalm be a wake-up call and Allow God to draw you to Himself and plug your life into Him so that no matter what happens, you're fulfilling your mission, your purpose to walk with Him. How is God drawing you to Him today? Are, are you keeping Him on the shelf? Or are you doing life hand in hand with Him, heart to heart with Him? God's goodness prevails when I do three things. Number one, when I die to myself. That means I run to Him and I see His arms open wide like the father in the story of the prodigal son and the older brother. Run to God today. God's goodness prevails when I abandon my old ways, when I don't keep God on the shelf, when I keep my life plugged into Him. And thirdly, God's goodness prevails when I let God's steadfast love prevail. I pray you'll take some time this week and honestly search for how God is trying to draw you to Himself. 
and then plug your life into Him for life, for purpose, for mission. God, thank you today that you called us to give thanks to you for you are good, for your steadfast love does endure forever, last forever. And God, I pray that we'll be wise enough today, like the psalm says, to turn to you and let you restore our life when we're separated from you. Let you walk with us daily to give us that purpose and mission. And ultimately, for one who might be here who's never turned to you, God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for one for the first time to be willing to turn to you and accept the ransom that you offer for their sin. God, thank you that you are all that we need when you're all that we have. And we continue to run to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.